Hello and welcome to CX Conversations. This is your host Vivek bringing you CX lessons from CX leaders from around the world. Today on CX Conversations, I'll be talking about how to deliver a great online offline customer experience in e-commerce. In the last 5 years, e-commerce share of global retail sales has tripled. Almost 18% of global retail sales is now happening online. It's interesting to note that 65% of shoppers look up price comparison on their mobile phones while in a physical store. I'm sure we are all guilty of that. It is therefore extremely important for online retailers to provide a great online offline customer experience. Talking about how to make this happen is our guest today, Walter van Bockel. Walter is the founder and CEO of FurnitureSpot.co.za. That's FurnitureSpot.co.za, South Africa's first scalable made-to-order online furniture store. Interestingly, Walter has a political science and international relations background by education. He started his career in public affairs as an intern at Mines and Partners. He has also been a member of Board of Affairs at the United Nations International Student Conference in Amsterdam, a volunteer maths and science teacher in Nairobi, Kenya, and co-founder of Seeds in His Garden, a Dutch foundation to support a children's home in Nairobi. Wouter was earlier partner and senior consultant at Bridgehead, a consulting company that he co-founded to help private companies acquire and conduct business with central government in Netherlands. It was during his executive MBA at RSM that he came up with the idea of Furniture Spot. And of course, there was no turning back. I came across Wouter's story on one of RSM's recent alumni showcase and got him on board to talk on CX Conversations. Wouter, welcome to CX Conversations. Happy to host you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Vivek. Thanks. So I'm quite amazed by your professional journey, Wouter, from being a teacher teaching volunteer in Nairobi to now building South Africa's biggest online furniture store. Can you share how these experiences shaped you as an individual and whether your early early career plays a part in starting Furniture Spot also? Yeah, sure. So um, I think around um, 2001, I lived in Kenya, Nairobi. And living in Kenya or living in Africa has certainly been... Um, has taught me actually being patient and sometimes things go as they go and what i mostly learned from that experience is that if you're not in control then don't try to be in control because that takes a lot of energy and it consumes a lot of energy from you um the second lesson i think from that past um is also while being a student uh, i've learned to be very perseverance uh, meaning um, maybe i've never been the brightest maybe in the class but I always knew how to, how to continue and never give up. Um, that also led to go from university to an MBA, etc. So that was a very important lesson uh, in that period of time. And the third lesson was in my professional life when um, I worked as a partner for Bridgehead. And uh, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned was how to network and how to do business. And most importantly, you um, you give to forget and you receive to uh, to remember. That was a very important lesson back then um, in networking. Well, that's quite interesting, Walter. And I'm sure all of these lessons are 
uh, key facets of a successful entrepreneur as well. Yeah, I think so too. Um, especially, uh, well, you never give up. <laughs> um, also, you need to have a... Um, a certain level of patience as well, right? A patience and also how to endure pain. <laughs> uh, of course, not physically, but emotionally. Uh, being an entrepreneur is constantly run into problems you have to solve as they occur. And uh, that, that leads sometimes to to some pain as well and that's that's something you have to to cope with yeah and certainly knowing what what are things that you can control and things that you cannot control and having that understanding can save you a lot of pain absolutely great great so now i would like like us to unpack the different pieces of an e-commerce business so from your experience running furniture spot can you list down the offline and online parts of your business that impact the customer's experience for furniture spot yeah so let me first start uh, the difference between, let's say, Europe and South Africa. Sure. Because uh, originally I'm from Amsterdam. I migrated to, to South Africa uh, for almost four years ago. And although the e-commerce uh, sector in South Africa is booming, I think it's still lacking. Um, uh, it's still a bit behind, let's say, three to four years. So in other words, I came here with a certain um, expectation of the maturity of the e-commerce in South Africa. And that, with that expectation, I also started this company, FurnitureSpot.co.za. And one of those expectations was that people feel um, uh, trustworthy or feel uh, comfortable with paying online. And that was, I think, my our biggest, uh, uh, not really mistake, but let's say pitfall, that we assumed that people were really very familiar with paying online, with doing business online. But there are so many scams in South Africa, as there were in Europe five, six, seven years ago as well with e-commerce. Um, but especially here in South Africa, people still had to start to, uh, yeah, to, start to uh, rely on, uh, on, on e-commerce, that not all e-commerce is a scam. So in other words, um, for us to convert a visitor into a customer, into a paying customer, took way more effort than initially anticipated. Um, so what that what does that mean uh, uh, practically? Um, practically meant that people do not pay um, 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 instantly on our platform. It always required one of my colleagues to pick up the phone um, and call uh, the customer just to prove that we are actual beings, human beings behind the platform uh, that are running the show, and not just a website. And the second one was that we started as an online only company but what you also see in e-commerce nowadays is that an omni-channel strategy is very important so the same thing is in europe as in india as in south africa more e-commerce companies who started who were an online first company start to have also physical uh, stores um, for in their omni-channel strategy so the same thing for us we had an office and we had a platform and a website but more and more, we had just people walking into the office expecting to see the items we have online in our uh, web shop. So, uh, so we had a lot of, uh, let's say, disappointed customers when they came in our office, although it was stated quite clearly that this is our address, it's our office, it's not our showroom, for instance. Um, but yeah, we couldn't find that trend. So uh, what we started to do earlier this year is that we started to open physical showrooms. So we, um, let's say we should use people online. So we have great content. 
well-written. Um, if people have a question, it's very easy to, to, keep, uh, uh, to get in touch with one of our colleagues or uh, the chatbot. And if they're still in doubt, they still can go to uh, our showroom and touch and feel the physical uh, item if required. And then it can go home and either purchase online or to place the, the, the order in our showroom. That's interesting. I've seen similar trends with at least the most of the online furniture retailers here in India as well. They've got showrooms, which are more or less places where people can go look at and experience the product. But the purchases are made are still made online over here. Correct. And that's something we uh, are heading to as well. So, for instance, we are the first in South, not just in South Africa, but in Africa, who will launch in six weeks from now. All our furniture will be in a 3D render, which means you can uh, walk around the furniture. And we're doing that because, with especially with furniture, it's big and bulky. And people do not always completely understand, for instance, the size of the sofa or the dimensions of a chair. So we hope by having a 3D model on our platform, people know exactly what they buy. So we will limit the returns because the returns for furniture is very, very expensive for us. I know, yeah. I've been an online furniture customer and I can imagine that pain of not being able to visualize or understand the dimensions of the furniture. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So can we go back to breaking down the offline and online parts of uh, your business? Absolutely, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so um, um, I think in, let's start with online. And I already touched a couple of these uh, points, but um, I mentioned content is king. And I know it's in, uh, we, we all say that, but it is the truth. So it need, for instance, your products need to have a well-written uh, description. Even one grammar, uh, grammatical mistake um, will lead to less conversions. We have seen that on our platform. Uh, you read that in the literature. Um, it's very, very important that uh, it is well written. The, the, the second one is that you need to have um, um, open and, and beautiful pictures. Open, I mean, people should uh, be able to relate to those. So, for instance, what we do our pictures most often are not against a white backdrop, but they are in a, let's say, in a uh, living room or in a bedroom. So people can visualize how it could be or should be in their own place at home. Um, and also the, the third one is that uh, it should be very easy for people if they browse online to get in touch if they have a query. So there could be the phone, but we have also a chatbot that works really well for us. Um, for people still, they think it's an actual uh, um, colleague, but in reality, it's the chatbot responding to queries uh, our clients have. Um, but that gives a real-time um, um, answer to most of the queries our customers have. And also, the, the fourth uh, aspect is trust and reviews. So um, for the more established companies, if they have a physical store, but also they have an online store, it's not very difficult for them to sell because people know the brand. So they think it's all right uh, in terms of quality and uh, delivery um, 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 regulations. But for us as a new new, new company with a new name, it took quite some time to, to get your name out there. So it's very important to get reviews as quick as possible to gain trust for potential customers. And in the content piece, Walter, do you also have to 
cater to multilingual uh, specifications. Like I believe in South Africa, Afrikaans is is spoken. Are are you primarily just doing it in English? No. So for at this stage, uh, on the website is English, but most of my colleagues they speak as, uh, two or more languages. So what will help in the sale is if they are able to speak the language of their potential client, that will increase, of course, the conversion. But for now, content is only um, uh, delivered in English. Okay, makes sense. So let's move on to the offline touch points for your customers. Yeah. So um, if you look at offline, and especially in the furniture industry, um, what I mentioned before, it's big, it's bulky. So it can get damaged easily. Uh, people order a sofa and then it fits in the living room but it doesn't fit through the door or it doesn't um, uh, fit in the elevator for instance these are um, quite crucial things um, where although it's it's not our responsibility but if we can limit those type of uh, um, mistakes it will increase our uh, customer experience does that have to do with the furniture delivery exactly yeah so um, especially with items which are bigger than usual, so let's say an, a table or a sofa, we always call the customer ahead of time. So um, the, the, the customer uh, to, to, to explain the size of the sofa, but also to send some pictures, um, the layout of the house. So we, we know, or the delivery company knows, if they can deliver the sofa instead of being there and, and then finding out that the sofa doesn't fit because that's, that's, uh, that doesn't benefit any of the parties. So that's the delivery um, is in quite an important uh, aspect of our business. However, I also have to say that's also our biggest challenge at this stage because what we have learned, we are very good in, um, in having a great website, in um, getting conversions. But the, the delivery aspect, because we're not a logistical company, so we're not in control of that last part of, let's say, the customer experience uh, route. And what, what about the... Um upstream side of of your business what i mean is i'm sure you've got uh, partnerships with furniture manufacturers or, or those kind of things so that's also kind of offline and does that also come into picture when it comes to how the the products could impact your customers experience oh absolutely and, and very good that you mentioned that so um i think the, the the biggest hurdle we had to overtake was getting to the right manufacturers it took me, I think, 24 months um, to find the right ones. And that went via trial and error. So you start placing orders and then you find out there's something with quality or with lead time. And obviously that had a major, major impact on our customer experience um, uh, journey. Um, so, um, yeah, like I said, it, it took us 24 months to, to get to the right manufacturers. So now we have the right manufacturers in place. So the next step we are uh, currently in the phase of implementing is having quality and assurance checks within the process. So every time when a product comes out the factory, uh, it needs to uh, have certain standards before it's uh, allowed to be dispatched. All right, and and you're I'm believe I, I'm believing that these are quality these QA uh, parameters are being shared with your manufacturing partners and, and they are more or less they are adhering to these things. Yeah, exactly. So we have a server, an SLA and a service level agreement and where we state uh, with the d different type of uh, quality aspects and they need to have certain checks uh, and balances in place before uh, yeah, we do business. 
Perfect. And and how about so I'm just thinking more about the offline side of, of your business. So what what comes next after the manufacturers in the offline side? Do you also manage inventory by yourself or is it straight drop shipping you mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we started with drop shipping, meaning that uh, we place an order uh, with our manufacturer. The manufacturer makes the, the unit and delivers it to the customer. But then again, we were not completely in control over that process. So what happened that the manufacturer started to call the customer uh, and then there was a delay or there was sometimes a misunderstanding with uh, certain positions within the whole supply chain. So um, we started to have our own warehouse now. So once the manufacturer is done, it's being shipped to our warehouse and then it will be dispatched to our client. Nice. So then your warehouse is another offline customer touch point. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe not a direct customer touch point, but it doesn't, like it is going to impact the customer's experience, I believe. It is part of the supply chain. Yeah. All right. Okay. And anything else in the offline side? Because we've touched on delivery. We've touched delivery. Yeah, um, the other one is that we call this after sales. So once the product has been delivered, we always phone um, our clients if they are satisfied, if we can improve, or if they would recommend us. And if not, why and how can we improve? That's interesting. So about a, from the customer experience perspective, how do you think each of these different aspects of your business impacts the customer experience? So let me turn around that question as in what leads to the mo- the biggest frustration yes with our uh, customer yes and the number one and the number two biggest frustrations are lead times and delivery so let's start with lead times so um we have um we are startup that means that we have always um uh, a challenge with cash flow and that means that we cannot really invest in huge inventory that means that we have to make the order. That saves us in, in, in having stock. So that's the positive part of it. The less positive part of it is that we have to, um, um, the orders come in as they come in. And also um, uh, we place orders with our manufacturers as how we get our orders in. In other words, it's very difficult for our manufacturers to plan accordingly, to plan their manufacturing process. So although we say lead times are four to six weeks, on average for a sofa or a, or a couch. But if we get uh, the first two weeks of the month, non-sofas uh, um, as a order, and the last two weeks we get 50 sofas, obviously that will impact the lead time. Uh, but it's very difficult to plan at this stage. So that's a challenge. But um, especially if we do not call the customer ahead of time, so let's say in week four, that your sofa is not going to be delivered in six weeks, but in seven weeks. Um, and... Yeah, it, it, we, we, we forgot or somehow our colleagues didn't mention that the customer and the customer picks up the phone and calls us after week six, where is that sofa? Then you have a very frustrated customer. So um, lead times is number one. Please, you need to make sure that you're in time or ahead of time, call the customer to explain why we are late. Nice. Okay. I was just going to bring this up actually from the customer's side. How do you manage that? Yeah, so... We, we have, of course, our disclaimers and sometimes we're not in control, but in the end, it's your brand and they see your logo. So for them, it's not really relevant if the manufacturer is late or if they couldn't find the, or if they couldn't source the materials. Um, 
And some of the most of the customers are understandable. They understand that it's all made to order. It's locally manufactured instead of imported from uh, India or China. So they love that story. Um, so most of the time they understand. But unfortunately, you always have customers. They are just a bit stubborn and they don't understand. And they're you're going to complain on social media before you even have solved the matter, or be even you had the chance to solve the matter. I understand. So do you also then in that case? Uh... Or I'm just going to turn the question around and say, how are you then making sure that there is also a very open communication happening between your manufacturers and yourself? Because you're going to be, before you can commit the next timeline to your customers, you got to have that from your manufacturers also, as well as have having the understanding of when are your products getting delayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you manage that with your manufacturers? Well, at this stage... Um, I have to be honest, we don't okay. because of the, the, the planning problem. So now we are making, uh, we are bit by bit, we have a bit more free cash flow to invest in stock. So with our fast, um, 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 with the items we sell more often, we try to keep stock. So it's a bit easier to deliver, but uh, we're still looking at how we can improve that process with our manufacturers versus lead time, versus uh, customer expectations. Yeah, all right. So I, I actually meant from the communication perspective, is there something that you're doing proactively with your manufacturers so that you have the understanding that, okay, we got to make sure that our customers know that this order is going to get delayed? Um, yeah, well, so we have our weekly production calls. If Is that what you mean? Yes, something like that. In that yeah, so we have a weekly uh, production calls. Uh, in that call, we discuss with our manufacturer all the outstanding orders, the planning for the coming weeks, and possible issues that he, the manufacturer might uh, foresee. Okay, that's interesting. So keeping your manufacturers also in the loop and being close to them Absolutely. On a regular basis is important so that you can keep your customers up to date with where their orders are. Because without having that information, you might not be in a position to uh, answer your customers also. So so that's the the difficulty with uh, being in a manufacturing industry. Sometimes you do not have an answer. So, um, for instance, if a product has a a default, then uh, we need to fix that, of course. But um, uh, customers always want to know, okay, when is it coming back? And sometimes we simply do not have an exact answer. And always we try to be as exact as possible. But sometimes the answer could be we don't know at this stage, but we will let you know as soon as possible. And obviously that's something we need to improve. That's interesting. Um, so let's move on to the next piece, which was delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, another thing is that we work with uh, delivery companies. and. Uh, some of those gave us a, a huge headache over the car- past couple of uh, months. Again, same thing with the manufacturers. Um, because furniture, like I said, is very delicate. It can break, it can damage it quite easily. Um, but then also we, we uh, looked at the process again. And also we, we were part of the problem. So let me explain that to you. <laughs> we found out that we have never given, let's say, guidelines to our manufacturer how to pack furniture uh, because it's not their role to pack furniture, it's their role to manufacture furniture. And also for the delivery companies, it's not their role to pack furniture, it's to them to deliver furniture. So then we understood there's a clear gap of who's responsible for packing. And that wasn't really picked up by any of the parties. 
So uh, that meant that we had to do that. So we went to a couple of companies who are specialized in packing. Uh, we followed some workshops and we made some guidelines. And those guidelines we implemented in our furniture uh, manufacturing relationships. So now they are packing the furniture much better than they did before. So that helped reduce um, the, the returns of furniture. Um, yeah, so that's one. And two, um, it's just like with any supplier in your supply chain, sometimes you you make mistakes or you just choose the wrong supplier. And that is also the same thing with uh, your logistical partners. Sometimes uh, the new, some parties just simply do not handle furniture with care. That means that you have a lot of returns. So what we saw in our data that some of our logistical companies had far more returns than others. So that told us that apparently they uh, handle our furniture with less care than uh, other logistical companies. But yeah, that's a process of, let's say, two years <laughs> before you find out which one uh, of the logistical partners is the right one to, to pick. So what I'm hearing from you, Outer, is uh, you, you guys have been quite proactive in identifying the gaps in your supply chain and filling those gaps. Like with the packing example, that was a gap. Um, and no one knew who's responsible for it. And you guys did the right thing of going out and identifying a partner who would just do that bit of your supply chain, which is packing. So identifying these gaps and putting the specialists to solve those or full, fill that gap is something that is going to be important and is going to improve the customer's experience, right? Mm-hmm. And the second point was about, and which was interesting in your uh, conversation, you mentioned that looking at the data of returns, you pinpointed the the problem that customers were facing. Now, here is where it is important as an e-commerce company, um, you've got to be very data-oriented, right? You look at data and identify problems that maybe um, on the surface looks like, hey, we are dealing with a lot of returns, yeah? But... Uh, under the surface or the root cause of that is perhaps your delivery partners not handling your products well and which is why uh, the the goods that are being delivered are damaged or, or or something that is not at par with the customer's expectations so look at the data and and go deep into the root cause of of service level problems yeah wonderful so um do you think this process or this entire uh, thing that we've discussed about the challenges uh, around lead times and delivery, do you think is this category dependent? Like if there is an e-commerce company that sells some something else, for instance, flowers, uh, would this process be different for them as compared to a furniture store like yours? Um, I think it's category dependent. Especially so the, the uh, your example with flowers, then of course lead times are as you can if you can uh, uh, say lead times of course, but flowers needs to be fresh. So the supply chain needs to be very very well organized to make sure that the flowers arrive in time before uh, you have to throw them throw them away. Of course, um, yeah, but, it's it's going to be more just in time. Yeah, absolutely. And with furniture, that's not the case. But in, in some respects, I think it is with any other e-commerce company that fulfillment or uh, warehousing or delivery, that for, for every e-commerce company is vital. And if you underestimate that final part of uh, delivery, it's very difficult to be a successful e-commerce company. So e-commerce is 
having things offline as well, well organized. It's not just a website. It's not just a website where people can place orders. It's all about fulfillment. So let's say the back office, the offline back office of the organization that needs to be uh, well in place in order to be successful. That's interesting. So irrespective of which category an e-commerce company is in, their offline management of fulfillment and I believe also uh, partner management is going to be extremely important for managing the customer's experience, right? Yeah. Now, now let's go upstream. Now, how do you make sure that your supply chain partners understand the importance of delivering a great customer experience? I believe like in any other business, your supply chain partner would impact the level of CX you can deliver to your customers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you make sure that your partners understand that importance? Is there some process you've developed? Yeah. Or some, you mentioned something about the weekly calls, but exactly. are there some, so, are you doing some kind of education around customer experience as well? Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because if you start with a company and you're very small, the bigger companies do not listen to you. So in other words, the logistical companies, they do not really listen to you because, yeah, you're not paying their bills or not least most of their bills. Um, so it's very difficult to put your own processes or your, your customer experience, wishes and demands in place with these partners because simply you're not, you're not the biggest fish in the pond. Um, but over time, when we grew um, – and uh, we showed that we are not a uh, uh, one-day one fly, um, they started to listen to us. So that was for us the time to also to put certain procedures in place uh, in order to increase our customer experience, but also to make work for them a bit easier. So let me explain that. Um, with our manufacturers, for instance, um, they also have their own supply chain issues. But one of the, the best things for us to improve our customer experience was to understand where our manufacturers are coming from. So in other words, um, we placed orders on a such an um, irregular um, um, pace. For them, it was more difficult to plan. So what we did, we put other type of uh, planning in place for them. So they, for them, it was a bit easier to organize their own supply chain. So uh, what we did... We explained them um, what they did uh, with certain, um, 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 if they make a certain sofa uh, with certain problems, how that could affect us. And we just showed that with the customer being there together with the manufacturer in one room to explain wh- how the customer felt about that. So the, 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 the manufacturer also understood his own place within the bigger supply chain. So that, re- that worked really well. Um, Another thing what we did was, um, and that's, that's more, more um, straightforward, and was that we have, like I said, we had our weekly calls uh, with our manufacturers or even with our logistical partners. And also we discussed all the, the things that didn't go well. We created a case, we learned from it, and we put our lessons learned into, let's say, the new uh, way of working. By then, we could improve together um, because in the end, you need to work and um, uh, think in partnerships. Otherwise, it doesn't work. That's really interesting. So what you're seeing is uh, a couple of things that I, I would like to kind of call out on. One is to understand your partner's challenges also. Um, even if you're growing and no matter, no matter how big you become as, a, as an e-commerce brand, 
having that understanding of where your partners are coming from is going to be critical because that's also going to establish a much deeper relationship with your partners and you can do better business with each other as well. And then showing your partners the experience of your customers also kind of is like, I'm sure it must be like an eye opener for them uh, to, to have that visibility of, okay, we are in this ecosystem where whatever we do is going to impact the end consumer. That's that's lovely, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's amazing. Uh, now um, there's time for some rapid fire questions, Walter. Sure. So which business leader do you follow and what have you learned from him or her? So there is this Dutch guy. Unfortunately, he passed away in a couple of years. Uh, but the entrepreneur, his name is Eckhart Winsen. And he had a huge IT company, which is called BSO. And he wrote a book about cell structure of companies. So that means that if a company um, reaches a certain employee numbered count, in this case, it was 150, it should operate as an independent company again um, in, order to be act, uh, in order to become the most effective. So um, what I learned from that is that... Um, in terms of scalable scalability, um, you need to think big, but it's important to look in the smaller components before you grow. And that's one of the biggest lessons I uh, took from, from this gentleman, this Dutch gentleman. Nice. What's the name of the book again? Um, I don't know the name of the book. Yeah, it's, I can Google it for you and I will um, share it with you a bit later. Sure. All right. Thanks for that. Um, now, the next question is, which is the one book you would recommend someone and why? The book I strongly recommend for anyone who wants to start a startup but wants to skill up is the book Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. And that book has made a huge impact on myself as being a leader, but also being an entrepreneur. And this book is about well, about uh, the Rockefeller uh, family, how they became very, very um, um, powerful and uh, successful with um, a certain as certain set of aspects. And it has all to do with people, strategy, organization, and cash. Cash as in cash flow. And those four pillars, they have a lot of uh, rules and regulations you should put in place in your company to become successful. And this book is very down-to-earth um the tips and tricks are very tangible and easy to implement and that has helped me a lot in uh, in running this uh, this business interesting can you say the name of the book again yeah it's called mastering the rockefeller habits wonderful which online brand in south africa do you admire there are a couple uh but i think at this stage i would say superbalist it's an online retailer especially in the clothing and shoes industry and it seems they always find the better deals out there. Uh, so always when you go to that platform, they always have great discounts. Um, and, uh, and, and also they deliver within a couple of days, which is quite extraordinary in South Africa due to the, yeah, the size of the country. But um, yeah, that's really one of the, the, the online retailers uh, I admire. Nice. That's amazing, Walter. With that, we've also come to the end of this podcast. I would like to thank you once again for being a part of CX Conversations. And I had a lovely conversation with you, Walter. Thank you, Vivek. Thanks. And to all our listeners, this is Vivek signing off from CX Conversations. Until next time, bye.